0: Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the Pulp Addiction Podcast. After a substantial layoff, uh, the brothers, but especially Nick Young, felt a need to discuss some NBA playoffs, Um, some burning takes. And uh, yeah, Nick, how are you doing? I'm great, Zach.
1: I'm sitting here uh, wearing my Manchester City jersey. I'm sipping an iced soy latte. The, uh, so you're thriving I'm, Well, also, I mean, Manchester City won, won the Premier League this morning So I'm in a pretty good mood Life is good um, But I gotta tell you After Boston went out of the, went out of the playoffs and, and the takes started flying in The obituaries for the Celtics started getting written I realized very quickly That um, somebody needed to call the city of Boston out on their shit Yes, preach And I think that, I think that somebody is me <laughs> so first of all like the all of these Celtic fans are are going like I'm ready to drive Kyrie to the airport, you know the team sucks with him, we were better off last year, all this bullshit. Um we need to talk about Kyrie in Boston. Because first of all, the man had a had a second team all NBA season and he is he is far and away the best basketball player that's played in the city of Boston. Since um, Kevin Garnett Garnett in like 2007, maybe 2008. So unbelievably talented and criminally underappreciated here. So I'm going to talk in a second about um, about the playoffs and what went wrong. You know, do the whole Hillary Clinton what happened book. But like, Mm -hmm. I think that I think that the first place to start is just like just making clear exactly what kind of talent we have here with Kyrie he is the most exciting offensive player since Allen Iverson. And, I, and I'm, not saying, I'm not saying he's the most efficient. I'm not saying he's the most dominant. I'm just saying in terms of moves that are pure electricity coming out of his fingertips, most exciting since Iverson. And, you know, for, for some reasons that I think if you, if you think about for a little just like if you think about it for five seconds about why quote-unquote blue-collar Boston might dislike a really exciting uh, young black guy at the at the peak of his powers, you could probably figure it out. I don't feel like I need to spell it out here, but I think that dynamic is at play. So let's let's just examine what happened in the playoffs. They got beaten five games by a very, very, very good Milwaukee Bucks team. Specifically Giannis was unstoppable. There was nothing they could do about it. And you know, Kyrie did not have a great series and people use that as sort of like, see, uh aha, Kyrie was bad. But you know, the reality is like, I think Bill Simmons, your, your chief competitor made, made this point. Um, Like Kyrie like there was a play where Kyrie drove into four players, um, got the ball stripped from him and he started yelling at Tatum. I agree with Kyrie. He was, he should yell at Tatum because if there's four Milwaukee bucks around Kyrie, Someone else is fucking up the spacing. There should never be a situation where four players can collapse on one driving person. And the reason is Jason, Jason Tatum went like 0 for 11 for three, through like the first four games from three. He shat the bed. So, like, you've got this situation where you have this prolific offensive talent in Kyrie. And really, you know, the offense around him just hasn't been there. Marcus Morris gets hot for a minute. You know, Gordon Hayward will have his, like, hot for a minute. Jason Tatum can, can also heat up. But, but the basic story here is that on any given night, like, two of the Celtics' offensive weapons who they're counting on suck besides Kyrie. So, like, he really is trying to do it all on his own, and the team just isn't ready yet. And I think this is, an, I think this is sort of the heart of the matter. Like, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are, like, barely old enough to buy a beer. Like these guys are not necessarily people who I would count on to win, you know, playoffs in the second round um, of the NBA playoffs. But like this doesn't happen very often where you have an established superstar going to a team this young and with this few like, um, you know, fully developed pieces. And I was trying to think about in the history of the league how many times this happened. And, and you should come in and, and give your take in a second. <laughs> Are you but like, done yet? <laughs> I mean, I could keep going. But, like, you know, I think the bottom line here is that the the, the team is so young and, and not fully formed yet. And I think if I was Danny Ainge and Brad Stevens, I wouldn't have gone into this season saying championship or bust. I would have said this is the test tube season where we figure out how to play um, as a group. You know, Gordon's coming back. Jason and Jalen are so young. Uh Marcus Smart can't shoot, so we have to figure out how he fits in. And Kyrie's a ball dominant player. So like that's that's a tough chemistry experiment to get right. And I would have just set the expectation nice and low this season and said, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna try and compete in the playoffs, win a round, but really it's all about the season after this one when we can make another move um and really try and coalesce together. So I think they were set up from failure from the beginning and Boston fans for not being able to see what they have don't deserve Kyrie.
0: Wow. Um, so I'm I'm with you on a lot of that stuff. Uh, you know, I think you you neglect to mention that Kyrie is like a bad defensive player who was thoroughly exposed by Milwaukee in the series. Um, and you know, as if you're going to be a guy who is bad on defense and makes it back on offense, and then you shoot like seven of twenty, like your team's going to lose. So that's a problem, right? But I agree with you that he had a great year. I agree with you that, that like thinking that just like he's a bad leader is the reason the Celtics aren't in the in the finals is like a very bad Boston take, right? So they go like <laughs> last year they you know one game from the conference finals. We had Kyrie, yeah, we're a finals contender. But then it's like it's like okay, who'd you really beat in a series that year, right? Like they be like. Philly, who were a bunch of 20-year-olds that didn't really know how to play in the playoffs and were just really stoked to be there. And they beat, like... Actually, the Bucks, ironically, who were being run by Jason Kidd and, take, and Joe Prunty. Prunty. Yeah. And taking, like, a bunch of 20-footers and just doing weird ISO stuff and doing their bizarre defense. And if you make three passes, you get a layup. So, yeah. like... And then they almost... You know, they lose to LeBron's Cavs team that's, like, LeBron and, like, a vanilla wafer cookie and, like... a. <laughs> a cup of lukewarm tea. Like, yeah. it's, it was just LeBron they lost to in seven. So, like... But it was a historically weak Eastern Conference. Yeah, and this year, I would say that the Bucks, Raptors, and Sixers all would have gone to the finals in last year's Eastern Conference. So they, Certainly. These teams got a lot better. And we talked about this at the beginning of the year. Boston did not have that high-ceiling talent guy. They don't have Kawhi Leonard. They don't have Giannis. Uh, they don't have Joel Embiid, who's... I think Zach Lowe gave this stat in a podcast. Embiid is like plus eighty in his in this series against the Raptors, and in like ninety minutes, basically without him, the uh, Sixers are minus like a hundred. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> like when he's on the court, they're winning this series. Um, so, anyway, I agree with you on that. I also felt like Tatum was very overrated coming out of last year. I think, like, guys were not game-planning for him. He was getting a lot of kickout stuff where he could take open threes and, and drive against scrambled defenses. And he wasn't expected to do anything. And then coming into this year, he was very much expected to do stuff. And his raw numbers go up, his efficiency goes down, and everyone is like, oh, my God, what's <clears> happening? This <throat> guy's falling. So, yeah, I think, you know, I think you nailed it. I I... I think the expectations for this team were out of whack. Um, I mean, we talked about in the beginning of the year how we thought they'd be really good just based on depth. But, yeah. you know, um, their offense never came together, and that's on Brad, too. Um, oh, it's certainly on Brad. I honestly know. blame him the most, I think. I, so, they had a great defense. Uh, I don't, yeah, I mean, you, you probably need to rework the offense that you're getting more layups. I think the biggest structural problem with this team is that they're paying someone $30 million to be not that good at basketball, yeah. in which is sad and a problem, and he'll probably be the centerpiece of the Davis deal if they can swing it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think, like, when you have a player like Kyrie, who's so dangerous um, off a of pick and roll with space, like, the fact that, that they can't make threes around him is really troubling, So, you know, I also noticed with Al, like, Al is not a a rim-running big. He's not that tall, and his leaping ability is uh, negligible, let's say. Yeah, he's not that. That's what, to
2: me, one of the greatest mismatches of all is that they are putting Big Al to defend Giannis. And in the Celtics' defense, they don't have anyone else who's better at defense against a Giannis.
0: Al was kind of solid on him for a bit. There's just not a lot you can do.
2: Yeah, I mean, my point is when you have your unathletic five guarding Giannis... He's gonna smoke you, which he thoroughly did. But
0: like, who can guard Giannis, right?
2: No one. But that's <laughs> why the Celtics got waxed.
0: Yeah, and that's why the Bucks are my title pick.
1: Yeah,
0: I've been saying this since about middle of the way through the year. I think they're gonna beat the Warriors.
1: Well, I still think the Warriors are gonna win. But let, let's b- before we put the Celtics to bed, I just I just want to make a few. I, I want to have a few more things. <laughs> Sorry, I've thought a lot about this. I, all right, chat. let's go. I got I got really angry reading all this stuff. Yeah. So like. Kyrie, actually, in real plus minus, in that advanced metric that really um, uh, analyzes your offensive performance against your defensive performance, Kyrie is still top 15, if not top 10. For the year? So he's.
2: I'm um, yoga. All
1: right. Happy Mother's Day. We love you. Love you, mom. Will you guys still be here for? Uh, uh, probably.
2: Yeah. Bye. Right. Love you. Have fun.
1: Happy Mother's Day, everyone. Yeah, uh, what that's, are you saying? That's the quality you get this with under, is, the, under stairs the stairs media. Medium, man. <laughs>
2: what are you saying?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, so I think I think that Kyrie's quote unquote defensive, uh, you know, Kyrie the defensive liability is a little overplayed. Um, uh, did you watch the games? Yeah, but I and, and I think like I think that he was in some weird ego moment where like he would get switched on to guys like Chris Middleton and Giannis. And he wasn't doing their scramble switch. And I think that was just for reasons of sort of like just being pushed into this mental place of like, you know, Kyrie sucks, Kyrie sucks, like get him out of here. And he's just <laughs> thinking like, he's like thinking, fuck it, I'll guard Chris Middleton, you know, and like, I I really think that if he was in a if if this if the, you know, landscape around the team was a little better. I think he would have been tighter on those switches, and I don't think he would have gotten cooked as much as he did. Plus, like, the Bucks are a bad matchup for him. Like, you know, he really— Eric Bledsoe is, is so much more gifted athletically than he is. Like, that's not the guy who he should be hanging out with all, or who, who he should be guarding all the time. But really, like, uh, you know, what I'm trying to say is that I think that there's a roster construction piece that if they were really committed to Kyrie— um, they could do to really like like if I was them, honestly, like yeah, sure, try and make the Anthony Davis trade because that's such a big you know piece. But like really, getting Jalen and Tatum and Hayward and Smart, all of those guys should be shooting like you know thirty five plus from from three. And if they're not, you got to find somebody who can because that's the spacing that Kyrie needs. And you know the last piece that I that I want to say, and then I'm done with the Celtics. I promise is that like <laughs> they I get to talk. They've raked him against the coals all year for his lack of loyalty and like this question of loyalty. And I just think it's the most hypocritical thing coming from Boston people, considering that the like the two idols here, um, in terms of roster construction, are Danny Ainge, who would literally knife his own mother Happy Mother's Day would knife his own mother in the <laughs> back if it if it could get him another player or some salary cap space, and Bill Belichick, who would. Uh, Like, I think knife his mother and then knife her again um, for for some salary cap space or a draft pick. Like, the two Boston people who are most lionized in terms of, like, you know, just sports executives are the least loyal people. So, like, the fact that that this city thinks that they, like – that, like, Kyrie owes it to them to have Celtic pride is just kind of ridiculous on its face.
2: Was also traded there.
1: Yeah. So,
0: I'm done. Yeah. I mean – I, I feel like it's—I would say Kyrie's a much more flawed player than you've been making him out to be. Um, obviously, it can work, right? We've seen him with LeBron, and, you know, Kyrie's the kind of guy who can get you 40 in a playoff game. Um, you know, I do think—I think the way you deal with this is you stop— like, Boston fans have this weird thing where, like, they've built all these assets up, and, like with the, and they're like, yeah, we have too many pieces. We need to do like a trade where we turn a lot of pieces into one great piece. Then they're also like, but we can't include this guy. And, oh, he's so good. Like, You're not going to get Davis if you like, won't give them Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And I think that they just need to nut up, flip one of those two and a bunch of picks uh, to New Orleans for, for Davis. And, you know, I think building a team around whichever young wing they keep, Kyrie, Davis, and Horford, um, you know, that's, I mean, you're you're doing awesome there. I mean, that yeah. front line of Horford, Davis, we might see, you know, a historically good defense out of that, and then, you know, like a, a top 10 offense. Yeah. And um, Anthony Davis is is a guy who I would trust to guard Giannis. Yes. That, I was also going to make that point, and that's critical, is that... When healthy, like that's that's your choice. That yep. he's the one I'd pick in the league, basically. Yeah. Um so yeah, we can leave them. They I mean they're just not that good. Uh so moving on to the rest of the NBA. Uh you want to talk a little Warriors Rockets? Sure. Um so recording this after a, a thrilling Game Six Warriors win, I guess a day and a half after. Um and I think I think what's most important to touch on in this is, first of all, where we see... Because, I, I mean, do you really think the Warriors are going to get beat by whatever team in the next round? I don't. Um, I think we're getting Warriors and either, like, Bucks, Sixers, or Raptors in the final.
1: Yeah. I... Yeah, I, I don't think that the Nuggets can do it. I think the Nuggets are going to win Game 7, and maybe we can talk about this later. Um... And I think the Nuggets—and and I remember we got on this pod, like, I think with maybe three weeks ago in the regular season, a month ago in the regular season. And I think that—like, I think my call was was Nuggets-Warriors. um, And I think I said the Nuggets would push them but ultimately lose. And I feel—I still feel the same way. There was this game um, in Denver. I think it was in January or February. And— The Warriors wax them. Well, yeah, but, like, so— the the nuggets were the top team in the west at the at that point and you know every, and they had been on this like i think 10 game winning streak or some big like you know they had been playing really well for like 3 or 4 weeks and it was that moment where everybody was sort of saying you know the nuggets hey maybe this is the time when they really like say they're a contender and the warriors like waxed them by 30 it yeah. like wasn't close the whole game so i think i think the nuggets will will uh win two games i think that they will uh, and maybe they'll take one to OT. Like I think that they'll have an effort in them that, that can give the Warriors some pause. But um, yeah, but I don't think they're on the they're on the level to beat them yet. Yeah,
0: so I, I think we should talk about what we learned from Warriors Rockets.
1: And you know, I think
0: to me the most interesting piece, because I really think Durant's out the door after this year. Yes. Win or lose in the finals. Um was kind of how Curry looked when Durant was not in the game and right after he got hurt. Yeah. Um and it you know, I think I think he and Clay had, you know, really bad series for the first kind of five games more or less. Mhm. Um and Durant was exquisite and Draymond was awesome and that's why they were, you know, leading the series and you know, the thing about shooters like Steph and Clay is even if they're missing the gravity they have. Yeah. Y- they're still having such a positive impact in your team even if they shoot terribly. But um to me, what was so interesting was, like, like it was like a switch flipped, and right when Durant went out of the game, and they went back to leaning on their motion offense as opposed to, like, oh, wait, let's get KD in this matchup. All right, it, KD's tired. Like, let's get Steph a shot. It, it looked like Warriors basketball, and Steph and Clay just looked so much more comfortable. Yeah. And I think what... It's not really fair to criticize Kevin Durant for this, because the only reason they do it is because he's, like, a god, but it really does mess up Steph and Clay to play this like ISO kind of one or two pass ball, and when you think about kind of how they played when they became great in 2015, 2016, it was like strength in numbers. Everyone makes the extra pass, balls winging around the court, constant motion. Yeah, and if you watch their offense in the playoffs, it's a lot of like, all right, let's get KD a touch. Okay, like you know Steph's got the big on him. Like let's watch Steph cook. All right, Clay needs a shot. Let's just whip it to him. And it was very like take turnsy
1: yeah
0: and i think that's you know the rockets did a good job of forcing them into that by switching and kind of saying like yeah we'll give you this bait and you know the warriors didn't play bad offensively but they're not
1: they weren't like blowing them out of the out of the water yeah no i i think that's exactly right um and uh you know i it feels weird to say but just like like the well it doesn't feel weird to say this the warriors were the most fun team in basketball for 2 years before they got Kevin Durant yeah and you know that game 6 was very reminiscent of that and um you know i i felt the whole time that the kd was in you know golden state that like you know he he really is sort of like the what is it the fifth infinity stone whatever the avengers thing like it's he really is like the the thing that just makes them unbeatable Because, you know, whenever anybody has a run, like, KD can just, like, you know, hit a pull-up three over anybody in the league and can it. So, like, you know, that's nuts. But at the same time, I completely agree that, like, his, like, the amount of touches that he needs and the kind of offense that he just sort of, like, creates by being, like, the best offensive player on the planet right now um, definitely throws off, like, what makes Clay and Steph special.
0: yeah. And, um, you know, I think as it relates to next year, you know, I think the Warriors are going to be really fun to watch if they can nail their depth. Yes. And it's such a big if, because the reason why I think they're ultimately going to lose to the Bucks is, okay, top four, the top four, they're amazing. And then it's like Iggy, you know, he's playing a lot of minutes now. Is he going to be okay in that final series? Livingston is washed, completely washed. You have, like... Jordan Bell and Andrew Bogut getting minutes. There's that guy, McKinney, who kind of gets rebounds but just, like, can't really do stuff. Yeah. And I think you get a smart coach, and I would not call D'Antonio a smart adjustments coach, and they're just going to pick on those guys who aren't good, and they're going to force the ball to them. And it's going to be a lot of 42 minutes a game for Steph, Clay, Draymond, and KD. And at a certain point, like, year five of the run, that's not sustainable. Yeah, And, you know, going into... That series is going to be really fun, whoever they play. But going into next year, you know, I, I, think, I think the Warriors are real, real title contenders if they can nail a starting small forward and, like, two or three bench guys. Yeah. Because they need to play strength in numbers again without KD. But if they can't and they run back this, you know, this basic lineup without, like, you know, James Ennis instead of KD or something, or, like, a Riza in the yeah. spot, like, that's a problem. Um, so I'm excited to see how that works out. How do you feel about the Rockets going forward?
1: Um, I think I've been a, a well, well-known Rockets hater for a long time. Um, not, not so much that I don't believe in, in like the sprawl ball concept or like the, the like prioritization of, of like long threes and layups. Um, it's, it's more that like, I guess, I guess I just sort of, have always sort of been a CP three hater. Um, just thinking that like he, you know, and he, he gets, he gets a lot of like hate from all sides. So I don't need to like fully give my, you know, CP three. He brings
0: on himself. He behaves like such a punk.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's that. And there's the fact that like he, you know, I, I would say that like, since like, there was definitely a period of time where he was the best point guard in the league, like so tough you know, could get to the rim whenever, like, could find anybody open at any time. But, like, I guess I would say just for the last five or six years, like, he seems like a very, very good point guard who still, like, thinks of himself as, like, you know, one of the two or three best players in the league who, like, deserves everything. To be fair, he brought it in game six. He did. He did. I don't want to, like, say that he's a bad player. That's not what I'm trying to say at all. It's just that, like i guess I guess I've felt that um I just have never believed in in the rockets as constructed behind like harden and c p three um i I would have really liked to see them go out and get somebody besides c p three to be the sidekick to harden, but um I think going forward, someone made this point on a podcast a while ago, but like i think c p three will age. Not terribly. I think they really I don't know what their cap situation is. But it's not great. Yeah. Harden
0: and C P three are like 80 million a year combined. Yeah, that's
1: tough. And
0: Capella um, like is like 25. I and mean, couldn't really years. stay on the floor during the series. Yeah. CP3's contract go for. It's like another three. They're, that's their team. Um yeah, I think I just so CP3's not gonna get better, right? He's only gonna get worse. Yeah. And it's less that, like, I'm concerned he couldn't play a game like Game 6. Uh-huh. It's more that even in a seven-game series, if you rest him all year, you're getting two of those games. Yeah. And that's asking, you know, they got such a great performance in the series out of Tucker. I thought Harden was really good. Um, and, like, I think if, you're, if your reason why the Rockets lost is that Harden didn't play well enough, you weren't watching.
1: Yeah, no, that's not my Harden reason Harden was at all. awesome. I think their
0: problem is that... Well, first of all, they, they made a couple weird coaching choices. Um, I don't know how Kenneth Fareed isn't in this series. That was mystifying to me. Yeah. I thought, you know, there was one game the Rockets got a lot of offensive rebounds. Mm-hmm. And I thought they were finally, like, really nailing it down that, like, you know, the way to... And we've... You know, this has been a weakness of the Warriors for years, but... Especially if they're going to play their key guys all the time. Like, make them box out hard every possession. Like, yeah. crash the glass. Absolutely. Um, and I, that's how the Thunder, uh, kind of the times they pushed the Warriors, really made it close. Yeah. Is they just ate offensive rebounds. And I mean... Uh, just a lot of Gerald Green. Yeah, that was surprising. Uh, and, like, I don't... Like, Gerald Green's like a 10th man. I don't want him playing in the most important series of the year. Yeah. And it was just like, all right, like let's let Gerald Green chuck, and then they'll he'll just get cooked on defense.
1: I also think like I think that the 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 downside to the to like the the system that the Rockets have constructed is that it's it's basically like this is what we do, you know, we go for layups and threes in this like very far spacing kind of thing. And, like, it it is incredibly hard to stop because it's the most efficient, you know, shots on the floor and whatnot. But, like, at the same time, they're not going to – they don't have any surprises. There's never a moment where you're like, oh, I've never seen this look from the Rockets before. So I just feel like if you're Golden State, you know this team probably better than any team you've ever played. Like, even the Cavs. Like, even those Cavs teams that they played, like, three or four consecutive years, whatever it was, Mm -hmm. in the finals. Like – they, they knew the Rockets way better because the Rockets don't have the variance in their game plan. And, like, I totally agree with this crash the offensive glass thing because I think that in the playoffs, um, and I, I haven't seen any, like, stats to, to back this up, so I could be totally woefully wrong here, but I just think I think that making, making threes in the playoffs, at, at you know, long-distance threes in the playoffs, gets harder. Like the defense is better, um, you're not shooting them against like the, uh, you know, you're not shooting them against the fucking Phoenix Suns. So like, you know, those really efficient shooting nights and like shooting weeks that you see in the NBA, where you've got like, you know, the the Bulls, the the Cavs, and the Suns thrown in there, you're just you're just not going to get that. You have seven games against a team that knows you really well, knows exactly the shots you want to shoot and it just get it makes it harder to make those shots. So like I agree with the approach that Mori is taking, but I wish that like that they would invest a little bit in like having some other pitches to throw. And I think that Farid was a really good idea um like go, and House instead of Shumpert and
0: Gerald Green. Yeah, exactly. And like, like House is a good player and he didn't get off the bench this whole series.
1: And even just having some offensive sets where like you know, they had some, like, weird um, post-up action. Like, I know that that's not efficient, but, like, could you imagine if, like, all of a sudden the Rockets in the third quarter of Game 5 had, you know, started running a couple things through the post? Like, I know that that's not efficient by the numbers, but, like, um, just from a pure, like, what the fuck is going on, I think you could surprise some people and get some points.
0: So I kind of disagree. I agree with you that their offense is less efficient in the playoffs, and the reason I think it is is that the game is refereed differently in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's no one better to see this with than Lou Williams. Um, You know, regular season, a lot of stuff is called on like hand checks. You can kind of get guys leaning the wrong way, go into them, get that foul call. Um, And, you know, the rotations are a little slower and guys are a little more open because you can't grab as much coming around screens. And... In the playoffs, that changes. You, you're allowed to grab people a little bit. They're not going to call as many like, little bump fouls. Yeah. And you know, for a team like the Warriors, that hurts because they're running a lot of guys off screens offensively. But the Warriors, the reason why they're the best offense in the league is they're such a good layup team. Yeah. Their shooting stretches you so far apart that they just gash you for layups, which are the best non-foul shots. But, they, the
1: also, but they also like, pass so well is the other yeah. end of that coin. Like the Rockets don't. No, the Rockets
0: are very much like, here's our mismatch, we're going to get to these three spots that are efficient shots from this mismatch, let's do it. Yeah. And that's great, but in the regular season, it's so much easier for Harden to draw a foul on a big man or get the D to collapse and kick out than it is in the postseason. Because if he tries to go by Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant can just kind of hold him. And, like, that's not something he can do in the regular season.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: I, th- I mean, you've seen it in the playoffs with the scoring totals. They're way lower. Yeah. It's it's more of a defensive game, which I'm a fan of. But it there just needs to be more nuance around, like, accepting that the game is called differently in the playoffs and then appreciating how that's going to affect your team.
1: Sure. I mean, I, I think it's a both-hand. Like, I, I totally agree with what you said. Um, I still believe that uh, that just, like the the level of, of preparedness of the defense also plays a role too. But I, I think you're right to identify the way that the, the game is called. And I would say also like just for anyone who who's like upset about that, like I think that the 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 whole point of the regular season from a refereeing perspective is to make sure that the star players make it to the playoffs. Yep. So like yep. you know, you don't you don't want some like uh some asshole cheap shot in Cleveland to like keep James Harden out of, like, the first round or something. Yeah, you basically don't want Delvadova anywhere near the ball. Yeah, so, <laughs> I mean, the point, is, the point is, like, you know, breathe on somebody the wrong way, call a foul, it makes sense in the regular season. But in the playoffs, it's sort of like, you don't want to be the referee who, like, is, is uh, you know, you don't want a, a repeat of, like, Dallas Heat 06. Exactly. You know? You hit it on the head. So,
0: thank you. And guys are playing harder, which, like... Yeah you know even if you're not trying to call it differently if people are like sprinting into each other that's a lot harder to referee than like oh this guy bumped me and I was kind of like moving my feet a little bit um so next year for Houston I would still say like let's say KD leaves the west the west becomes really fun especially if the Lakers can get kind of involved and you know I think it you know, if KD leaves and goes East, the Eastern Conferences might be better than the Western Conference. Um, I think at, at the top you could make yeah. that case. Like, the best... But yeah, let's say top four East are better than top four West. Yeah, I think you could make that case. I mean, you could make that case now. Um... Rockets, Blazers, Nuggets, Warriors versus Celtics like... But then... Yeah. Bucks, Raptors, Sixers. who I want to talk about the East team soon.
1: Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, yeah, I, I think that I think that that's fair. I think um, if you if you want to say the Warriors and the Bucks are a wash, I could, I could, I think that that's fair. Maybe a slight edge to the Bucks in terms of just regular season dominance. So even
0: give the edge to the Warriors, right? Let's uh-huh. say the Warriors are better than the Bucks. Then you've got. Denver compared to Toronto, that'd be an awesome series. Yeah, that'd be a great series. Um, I would totally watch the shit out of that. Like Kawhi, like who's stopping Kawhi on Denver? Um, you got Marcus all on Jokic. Like I'd probably pick the Raptors in that series.
1: Oh, I would. I would pick the Nugs for sure. But um, I, that's I mean the Kawhi like missed, Jamal Murray more than me. The Kawhi. I keep waiting right. for
0: the Jamal Murray shoe to drop. Like I, I might pick the Blazers in tonight's game or today's game starts in half an hour.
1: Yeah, excited to watch that. Um.
0: So, you've got that matchup. Then you have Portland and Philly. And, like, Lillard is a boss, but Embiid's just, like, that's a really... That's an interesting matchup. Like, Enos Cantor's going to guard Embiid?
1: Yeah, that, that's, that's tough. But then, but then on the other side, you've got some real mismatches. Like, CJ and Lillard, I feel like, are bad matches for people. Like, I guess you have to put Jimmy Butler on somebody... And J.J. Redick on the other, like maybe Jimmy takes Dame. You know, JJ and... J.J.
0: hides on like Mo Harkless.
1: Yeah. Well, and always has like two guys who suck on the court,
0: offensively at least. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, I think I think it was Zach Lowe who made this point. Like, if Al Farouk Amino and Mo Harkless are shooting above you know thirty-five or forty percent from three, the Blazers win. And if they don't, they don't. Yeah. Which is you know tells you kind of all you need to know about it.
0: It's a lot of heavy lifting from Lillard and McCollum.
1: Yeah. Um. Anyway,
0: let's talk. Um. Let's talk Eastern Conference. Sure. So let's start with the Philly-Toronto series. Um, really fun series. Very fun. Game six was a really good look from Philly. Yeah. And that last two minutes of the first half, what Jimmy Butler did. Yeah. That Oof. was like what I kind of imagined the the Toron- the Minnesota practice was like. Yeah. Just been Like running around, like <laughs> yeah. making buckets, just making like big plays. It was kind of Dwayne Wadey, like yeah, like peak Wade. It could be like anything. It could be a blocked shot. It could be saving ball for out of bounds, but Wade just like made plays. Mm-hmm. Like he just made really cool things happen that few other guys would be able to do in that moment. And that's how I feel about Jimmy. Yeah. Um Jimmy is really like a quintessential playoffs player. Yeah. That's that's how very, I to Very, very comfortable with the increased contact allowed. Just really tough, not gonna be phased by certain situations, not afraid to take big shots, can get his own shot
1: can guard anyone incredible confidence like i think that like the playoffs have such a like gravity and like the pressure just gets turned up by like 10 and you know in a sport like basketball and really in in you know all sports which is which makes playoff you know sports so fun is that like you know when the pressure is so high it it takes like something kind of different to execute these like very very precise like movements shots you know plays like it just it just takes that extra degree of like mental um i think the word would be alacrity or something but like you know yeah it it, it takes it takes something and jimmy has it in spades so
0: and i just just to kind of bring the jimmy narrative for the season full circle he got a lot of shit for forcing his way out of chicago and then forcing his way out of Minnesota. And kind of really poisoning the locker rooms in those places, and then for being a little disgruntled in Philly.
1: Yeah,
0: I'm gonna flip this the other way. What great player should be okay with the locker rooms in Chicago and Minnesota? <laughs> I mean, yeah. you had in, like Chicago's a tire fire, as we've discussed. Yes, yes, yes. You know, we, do you want do you want to spend mean, a few minutes? We're outside point? shooting. I I'm apoplectic. I know, I, like <laughs>
1: like ah. Uh, should we circle back to this? You know, Boylan's... Okay, we're going to do this. Boylan's do not horrible, right? Eh, yeah, I don't not know. not good. No, he's bad. He's affirmatively bad. He's definitely a bad strategy coach. He's having his players run fucking suicides and do push-ups, like, to prove a point. Yeah. Like, it's a fucking... Like, it's fucking Hoosiers. At least they're working out, though. Like, I feel like under Hoyberg oh. under they were just chilling. Jesus. I mean... It's just it's just so out of touch with like what the NBA is. Yeah, it's terrible. Like it, it it's out of touch with what professional sports are. Like
0: I was begging the Bulls to trade for
1: Buttonholzer or just sign him. Yeah, like two years ago. Yeah, begging. He it's, was available. It's fucking sad. I mean, but like I think I think this point is worth is worth sort of harping on this like like they you know Gar Packs, which by the way hashtag fire Gar Packs. Like fuck those oh my guys. God, yeah, but like um. But, like, Jim Boylan and this whole, like, you know, supposed ethos of, like, being a blue-collar team for a blue-collar city, it's just a load of crap. Like, anyone who's, who's sort of at all attuned with, like, what professional sports are today knows that, like, professional athletes, you know, are working on their body to a scientific point all year round, 365 days a year. They are... But is Zach Levine doing that? I mean, maybe, but like maybe is maybe Jabari not <laughs> maybe, maybe not, but like the point is you don't you don't waste your practice time like fucking up their their conditioning routines by like having them run extra suicides and do extra push-ups to prove a, to prove a point. It's like if if a player isn't ready to play, then you bench them. You don't need to like waste your precious practice time like proving some sort of hard-o point. I would also say that like. The optics of your team literally staging a
0: coup against a coach and then hiring that coach for two more years are just terrible.
1: Well, like everybody has made the point on like I'm social sure media, is the
0: cheapest coach contract in the league. That's the only reason they kept him.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. No doubt. But like, especially considering that they're already gonna they're gonna pay Fred too next year. Like, so they're they're probably thinking to themselves, ah, we're already paying Fred. You know, might as well save a buck on the next guy. Like, it's it's garbage. But like. You know, I think we've told the story on the pod, but like you and I have played basketball with Lou Aldang's agent before, and like during the game, or like while we're waiting for the next one, to anyone who would listen. Anyone who would listen, he's shitting on Garpacks. <laughs> he's like he's like these guys have no, you know, have no respect, no decency. They're lowballing us. And like to be fair, that guy also not my favorite. Yeah, player. that that guy was a turkey too, but like <laughs> But I mean, the the point is, is that if you've got agents in like a pickup basketball game, just, you know, in Chicago, like telling the GM, anyone who would listen that your GM is an asshole, it's a bad look. look. And like, like, it, it seems like a pretty consensus point that nobody wants to go to Chicago because, you know, the, the, like the leadership from both like the owner, uh, from the ownership group to the, to like the executives is fucking dreadful. I mean, so you look at the big
0: market teams in the NBA and, you know, like, let's take the Knicks and the Lakers, like, horrifically managed, like, really stupid, like, really stupid choices, kind of just bumbling figures in key positions, making bad choices. But, like, they're going for it, right? Like, they're yeah. spending money. Like, the Knicks paid Phil Jackson way above market to take that role. Uh, the Lakers, you know, they're shelling out money for Magic, Palinka. they're bringing LeBron in. Like... At least like even though there's complete ineptness from an cons- intelligence point of view, there was effort like given with dollars. Yeah. With the Bulls, they actually like have some good ideas, right? Yeah. Which like, makes it all the more like, like upsetting. Yeah, like they grabbed Jimmy Butler late in the first round. Um you know, Markinen, great pick. People like Wendell Carter. I'm I'm not sold yet, but you know, like they've made good choices. Like getting Pow was not Like, he was an undervalued asset at the time, but it's just all with the purpose of most efficiently making money as an NBA franchise. Yeah. Like, whereas everyone else is trying to create a great meal, they're trying to create a great profit margin, and it's just so frustrating to cheer for.
1: Yeah. And what's what's absolute ass about it, too, is that, like, just from a visibility and, like, Uh, Like, my fucking soul dies a little bit every time I talk like this, but I'm going to here just for a second. The Chicago Bulls, as a brand, as like a, as a, you know, fucking logo, are world-renowned. Like, the Lakers, the Rockets, the Warriors, and the Bulls are who are selling in China right now. So, like, the fact... Michael. Yeah, I know. Like, they, they were amazing in the 90s, which is crazy that they're still, like, able to draw money off of that. But they are. So like the fact that a team that is that visible, that well known and has like that kind of um I don't know, just like international renown, it's crazy that they can't be satisfied with that monetary situation and they sell the Jordan Bell pick for $3 million. <laughs> yeah, and they, exactly, exactly. It's just it's 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 fucking garbage move after garbage move and it's like if if they were a serious NBA franchise, just from a standpoint of like if you were just to value, like, the free agent signings that we miss because everybody hates Garpax, if you just look at that alone,
2: you yeah. should
1: fire Garpax.
2: Yeah. and I just pray that Zion doesn't end up there. I know. We've had this conversation. Yeah. yeah.
0: Like, we're Bulls
2: fans, but we don't
0: want them to get him because yeah. we like Zion too much.
2: He
1: deserves better than this, than this fucking
2: shit show. <laughs> I'm not a Bulls fan. I like good teams. You're out? I've been out. I just cheer for good teams.
0: So, with my teams, like, if they're not trying, I'm not trying. So, I won't watch them if they're tanking. But, like, if the Bulls, like, are making a real concerted effort toward being good, I'll watch. One of the things I go back to, then we need to move on from them. This was, it's often overlooked in Garpak's lore, but it's just, like, such a fascinating, like, horrible decision for me to, like, dwell on. So that year they put together the three alphas, <laughs> Rondo, Jimmy, and Wade. So first of all, going into that offseason, they say we need to get younger, we need more shooting, and then they sign Rondo and Wade, which is, in and of itself, just high comedy. And then, like, right before the season starts, they flip Tony Snell, who's not that good, like, was a draft pick of ours, like, he's like an NBA guy, but the Bucks are burying him in this series. Yeah. They flip Tony Snell for Michael Carter Williams, straight up. And, like, <laughs> they've hired this coach, Hoiberg, who's, like, very committed to shooting, right? And they've put together this team with three ball handlers who can't really shoot that well from three. So, like, everything in your brain as a GM should be saying, right, like, wow, we should really surround these guys with shooters. And not only do they not make an effort to do that, they trade a shooter for someone who can't shoot whatsoever. Yeah. And it's like, you think about that move and like, it's easy to say, oh, you know, they're dumb. They make dumb choices, but like really like just giving them as much credit as you want to give them. What possible reason would anyone do that trade? Yeah. And the only one I can come back to is that Carter Williams is a bigger name than Tony Snell. And they wanted a bigger name because they might be able to sell some jerseys and put asses in seats. That's the only logical reason I can think of. They make the deal. Yeah. And that's gotta be the reason they make most of their choices. Yes. Total agree, unbelievably stupid. I, I, whatever. Um. Anyway, let's talk about good teams.
2: Um, yeah. What about the prospect of uh, Katie and Kyrie at the Knicks? I'm pretty jazzed about that idea.
0: I don't think. Ah, uh, I think Kyrie's gonna go to LA. For real? Yeah. <laughs> there's there's
1: word on the street that um that the Tai Lu um like so Tai Lu was like this close to to being the head coach of the war uh, of the Lakers. Um, and there's word on the street that that the Lakers had to quash it at the last minute because Tyloo and Kyrie don't get along.
2: Mm, <laughs> wow, that's interesting. So
1: that's, that's some like NBA yeah. Twitter gossip, right well, there.
2: I know he's not really uh, respectable, but Stephen A. said this morning, ninety-five percent certain that Kyrie and KD go to the Knicks.
0: I mean, I think KD is definitely going to go to the Knicks. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he hasn't made the choice. I just he's all about like what can I do next to, like, really expand my game? Like, that's why he makes the choices he makes. And he wants to go to the Warriors to, like, learn how to play like them. But it's really hard for me to envision a scenario where he decides to come back and argues it's the better his game. Like, I think he's going to want to 3P with the Warriors. He's like, all right, I've mastered this style. I've been on the best team in the world. Now I want to go and build a franchise around myself. Yeah. Like, I just think that's the arc. And think him so, moving too. his business out there is a huge
2: flag he moved his business from
0: san francisco to new york
1: Hmm. Hmm.
2: i think that though i feel like Kyrie and katie would play really well together first of all and second of all would just like get each other because they're two people who get shit on a lot who take it really hard yeah (laughs) like lebron and steph curry they don't seem to really give a shit what people say but like katie and Kyrie are like the same brand of sensitive human. And yeah. We know KD's in his mentions. He's, uh, <laughs> he tweets back from other accounts.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, that'd be fun. I mean, I'd like to see the Knicks be good. That's such a fun fan base. Yeah. Um, I agree. But yeah. Um, so let's talk Raptors, Sixers. Who do you have in Game 7? I have the Raptors in Game 7. That's So I really feel like the Raptors were better... And, you know, I just keep watching the series and I think I think Brett Brown gets shit on a lot, and he's He's been fine. He's been as good or better than Nurse in the series.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, don't
0: I don't think it's a I don't think there's a coaching advantage either way. Putting Embiid on Pascal was a great choice. Um and I think I mean I just keep coming back to like, I really think the Raptors are a better team. But the Raptors just like don't don't look like they're going to take it. They look like they kind of have too much, like, baggage and expectation. And the Sixers are just, like, they're fucking dogs. Yeah. And, you know, in a Game 7, back against the wall in a Game 6, like, that comes out. And Kawhi's a dog. But I wouldn't call old Marcus Gasol and Kyle Lowry, like, playoff dogs. Like, they're just kind of, like, they're great, smart players that make smart plays, but they're not, like, they're not, like, going to
1: go get a bucket, you know what I mean?
0: Now, you see... I and Spicy is yeah. just not really ready for that kind of role yet.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I agree in the sense that, like, I don't, I don't think that either Marcus Saul or Kyle Lowry is going to drop 30 tonight, but I think that you are undervaluing them a little bit. I think that, you know, both of them have really been in a lot of playoff battles, and they actually have been victorious in a lot of them. I know that, like, you know, the Raptors, their failures are much more memorable than their successes. But like have they have either of them won a playoff series over a team as good as the Sixers? Um You know, the Grizz had some battles against the Clippers. I don't know if the if like those early Lob City Clippers were as good as these Sixers. I don't think so. But they it wasn't like they were beating bad teams there. And I think the Grizz have also beaten the Spurs when they were really good. I think they beat That was different though. That was like the Zebo series. Yeah, but I mean Gasol was a big part of that too. I mean, I mean the point is the point is like these two have have been in a lot of playoff wars, and it's Game Seven. They're at home, and I think that both of them, Kyle Lowry and Mark Gasol specifically, are both probably like in a mental space of like this is my shot. You know, like who knows what's coming next year? Kyrie stay or you know Kawhi? I feel like Kyle kind of tightens up in those situations. I mean, from a shooting perspective, he does. But I think that he 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 still is going to play that really hard defense. He's still going to do everything he needs to do on offense. And I think he, I think that they will um, have good games tonight, both Lowry and Gasol. And I don't know if they're going to score a bunch of points, but I think that they will both have good games. I uh, see.
0: I think I think Kawhi better get 40 or this is over. Like Kawhi's going to need to get like 40 or 45. Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to need to be like an MVP game from cool. Like beat it's going to shut down the paint, and they they're winning the Embiid minutes every game of the series. Yeah. He's he's been he's been way better than Gasol. Um I they're not gonna want to ride and die with Pascal taking threes. And it's gonna come down to can Kawhi take Jimmy Butler off the dribble and hit mid range jump shots enough to get to 45 points.
1: Yeah. Well I, I mean I also wonder like I mean coming into the series we thought that the Raptors bench was going to really expose the Philly bench, which doesn't have a lot of depth. Um and and it's been the opposite because the Raptors bench has been shitty. I think that the question that's, that I think is going to swing this game is like Embiid is slow and he's not in the best shape. He's been sick. He's got this knee thing. And like he was explosive in game six at home. I think he got really charged up. I would go at him early. I would challenge him early. Um, and I, I think that the real question is going to be, can the Raptors run up the score in the minutes when Embiid is off the court? yeah and if they can, I think that they're gonna pull it out, plus like I think that being at home, I think that that's that's an underrated part of this like no, it's
0: big, but that crowd is
1: also gonna tighten up if they tighten up, true, true, but I think that like I think that that crowd is gonna really bring it in the beginning when they need it, and I think if they um i think if they start to if they start to waver, I think that they're gonna really try and pick them up too. So I I I I feel like being at home is a huge edge and I feel like just from a sheer experience standpoint, I would rather roll with Kawhi, Gasol and uh and Lowry than um like whoever like I mean I guess like so the big 4 right from from Philly, we're talking Embiid, um uh Tobias Harris, Jimmy and and Ben Simmons. None of those guys have like really won a big time playoff series i think that jimmy when he was on the bulls had one run to um i think he was on that team that made it to the eastern conference finals against lebron
0: i don't think he was important
1: on that he was not important on that he would have been like the 10th man yeah so like so none of them have really you know have been in this situation before so i i like that um that experience that the raptors can fall back on tonight
0: Um, do you give either team
1: a shot against the Bucks? Oddly, I think that, um, well, I think they'll both lose in six. Um, I think that the Raptors have more of a chance if, and it depends on which Raptors we get. Like, I mean, Fred Van Vliet has just been shitty like this whole season. So like, like maybe like, you know, if he found his game and could really give you something off the bench, I'm a little more interested. Um, I don't think uh, Chris Middleton is really going to stop Kawhi. But, like, yeah, I, I think the Bucks are too good.
0: I, so I don't like the Sixers matchup for the – or the Bucks matchup for the Sixers because Robin Lopez is a stretch five. You mean Brook? Or, yeah, whatever one. Um, <laughs> they'll stick Embiid on him, and, you know, Brook will go stand 30 feet from the basket. And if Embiid's not in the paint, that's going to be a problem. Um, and, you know, maybe they counter and they try and, you know, stick Embiid on someone smaller, but really everyone on that team besides Giannis can shoot. Yeah. So there's nowhere to hide him, and if they put him on Giannis, Giannis will take him out and then blow by him. Absolutely. So I feel like that's kind of a problem for Embiid, matchup-wise. And Lopez, it's not a good defender, but, like, Embiid's not going to, like, eat him the way he might eat, like, you know... Someone on someone other team. Yeah,
1: um, I mean, could you imagine though Giannis trying to dunk over Embiid? Like, I feel like the the rim matchup of Giannis and Embiid, like Giannis with a full head of steam and Embiid going up strong. Like,
0: there's some blood,
1: bad blood between those guys. I feel
0: like um, it'd be really spicy. Simmons and Giannis, like Giannis was shit talking, like get this baby off me or something. Yeah, um, that's, that's that's hilarious. A, that's a great matchup, and the Embiid Giannis rivalry is great because both of those guys like view themselves like. I'm a bad motherfucker like get out of my way. Yeah. And neither is going to back down from the other. So that'd be a great series. If the Raptors get through I mean it's just so much on Kawhi. Yeah. I mean maybe you get a little more out of Spicy P because you know there's not the same like let's put him beat on him trick. Yeah. Um you probably have you probably put Giannis on him. Uh but yeah, maybe probably. Middleton, but No, I think Middleton's got to take Kawhi. Um yeah, it'd be fun. Uh, be a fun series. I, Bucks are my title team, though. I just I, Giannis is such a singular force, and I think the Warriors, by the time they get there, they're just not going to have enough left in the tank, and they're not going to have the numbers to really swing that. Well, I mean, we do. You want to talk about that? Um, I mean, make your case for the Warriors beating. I guess you don't really have to make a case for the Warriors. They're just the Warriors.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean the. Like the point with the Warriors is that like, um, they just have like five Hall of Fame players. So I think you, I think at this point you have to you have to start talking about Draymond and Iggy as Hall of Fame players. Um, Draymond, yes. I don't know about Iggy. I don't know, man. I mean, he's got a he's got a Finals MVP where he that was Steph's Finals MVP. We called well, it.
0: I don't know why he got it. Anyway, remember
2: how good he was on the Sixers? I feel like he just knows his role and knows how to like make a team. Better. He's
0: a great player, but like if he's in the Hall of Fame, I guess if the team wins like five rings, then yeah. he can then he gets like the Robert Horry Hall of Fame. That's that's sort of my feeling. But like on its like apart from historic team success, like
1: yeah, I mean he's a he's an eighteen five five career guy, which is. Um, interesting but not necessarily hall of fame yeah so that's my point but anyway anyway i mean so let's say four and a half hall of famers um if you're thinking iggy could get the uh could get the hoary treatment so when you when you've got that uh that kind of five taking the floor um you can just reach a level of like basketball dominance that i don't think anyone can can match um, now, the the matchup can be tough because Steph's going to have to hide on somebody. Um, yeah, who does Steph hide on? I guess Brogdon? Yeah, I think
0: probably Brogdon. I mean, you could put him on Bledsoe. I wouldn't put him on Bledsoe. Bledsoe's kind of a threat to drive, but at the same time, if I'm the Warriors, I would love to see Bledsoe being like, guys, this is
1: my series to get 25 a game. Yeah. <laughs> but I just, I don't think that... Um, I don't think that the Bucks like match up so so well with the Warriors. Like, I guess you're gonna put Middleton on Clay, and then Giannis maybe takes KD or takes takes Dre.
0: See, I would throw Giannis Andre. Excuse me, Giannis Andre, Middleton on KD, and like if they just want to post up KD and KD takes his twenty footers, like, what are you gonna do about that? Like, that's just fine in my opinion, and then. I'll stick Giannis on Draymond and hopefully Giannis's size can like stop that like high screen and dish to Draymond offense.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And, you know, and if need be, Giannis can hang with Curry a little bit. He's so big and so quick. Yeah. Um, and you know, Bledsoe like switching Bledsoe onto Draymond is not a problem. Yeah. Um, so I, I probably work it like that. And then, you know, I I really think there's space to just pick on the guys the Warriors put in there. Like if Bogut's in the game, yeah. You know, like there's a lot of guys on that roster that are bad. Like Livingston, I would go at every time. Bogut, McKinney, Quinn Cook, if he gets in, like these are just guys I would attack.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that what what the series would hinge on is like how well the Warriors could play on Giannis. Like, on do defense. you think Draymond can guard
0: Giannis? I do. Raymond is 6'5. I think he's a little bigger than 6'5, but. 6'6? Six, six? I think he's 6'7, six, 6'8. Six, six, we haven't, he's not 6'8. We haven't seen someone like Giannis in the league since we've been following
1: the league closely. I think if you looked at if you looked at like what LeBron does, I think that's an interesting comp. Just in terms of like size, speed, skill, getting to the rim. LeBron's a lot smarter and a lot like. Well no, no, I'm not I'm not trying to say that, that Giannis is as good as LeBron. I'm just trying I'm to say that Giannis is better at like dunking over people than LeBron. I I just don't like I mean right now, I'll give you that. But I think that like during that like heat run where they where they repeated, I think that LeBron was probably the most efficient player finishing around the rim, maybe in NBA history.
0: I would also say that like the way the Warriors want to play is up and down, and that's the way the Bucks want to play, too. And, you know, maybe it means the Warriors get a couple open threes that they wouldn't have gotten if the Bucks had played slow, but...
1: Interesting headline just came across the, the wire... It says Christoph's oh Persingis in fight video emerges uh, of Christoph Perzingis bleeding after being reportedly jumped and hit with objects at European club. Um not great. Can but, I finish my point? Yeah, sorry.
0: Mr. Twitter, Mr. Podcast. Breaking oh. news. It's not news, it's gossip. <sighs> um I I think the way the Warriors wanna play, they're not like really gonna have guys back and like building that wall against Giannis and if you don't build the wall against Giannis he's just gonna run down and dunk
1: you don't think that Draymond can be part of a wall he
0: can but like if you look at like how the teams that have slowed him down defend him like the Celtics like they have three guys back and were like very measured about when they shot and just sprinted back you don't think the Warriors can do that they're very, very well coached. I think in theory they could, but I think what the Warriors would say is this is our style. Like, no, we're not going to, like, run back. We're going to... I mean, they'll be smarter about it, and Draymond's very smart, you know, but I think you'll see a lot of Euro fouls out of them. But, no, I think they're going to try and run up and down. They want to play that way.
1: What's up, babies?
0: Hey, um, so we're podcasting, actually.
1: Sorry. Um, Although I think we're about to wrap. Yeah, let's let's wrap. Do you have anything else you want to say? Uh, I'm picking... Liverpool to beat Tottenham in the in the Champions League final. No no love for Harry Kane. Is he going to come back? Harry Kane on one leg? I mean there's talk that like he said he said this week he gave some quote that he's he's running in straight lines now. So the I think the Champions League final is May 31st, so it's the end of the month. It's like June 1st. Yeah, he's, he's got, got two weeks. Roughly two weeks. Um, I, I really think
0: he would try and give it like 20 minutes at
1: least. Yeah, oh, I, I think they'll throw him on at the end for something for some you know magic to try. And, and I think the game plan for Spurs would be like, you know, really try and control it in the midfield with Sissoko and Eriksen and maybe give Son a chance on the break. Um,
0: I think it'll be Liverpool's going to be running their high press, which yeah. really like always jumbles the game and it's hard to play like a disciplined pack the bus style when they press that hard because really if you keep the ball in your defensive third and hang out and they keep pressing you you're going to fuck up. Yeah. The way to beat Liverpool is to if they're going to press you like you got to play through it and gun.
1: Yeah. You got to break you it. You do
0: that like if you break a press you can get like 5 on 5 4 on 4 breaks all the time. But breaking the press is hard.
1: And they can they can also get um They can also have some bad turnovers in in the middle third, too. Like, because their midfield, you know, you and I are well-known James Milner haters. uh, And basically, like, they they rely a lot on Milner and Henderson and Wijnaldum to, like, bring that ball up. And, like, I think that if if Tottenham is smart in the midfield, they can get some breaks from Uh, there. Yeah, I
0: think the way to beat Liverpool is you need to cut off the long balls you need to not fuck around in your defensive third. Like, just get the ball out of there if you yeah. can't play through. And you need to cut off the long balls from, like, Van Dyke and the outside backs to the forwards. Well,
1: so the outside backs, I think, are the most... are actually the most underrated part of Liverpool. Like, Robertson and uh, Alexander-Arnold have just been on another level the last month. Like, yeah, they're so they dangerous. Bomb. Yeah, they're so dangerous. And I think that, um, like, for for Spurs, like, you know, you're asking a lot out of Danny Rose... And, uh, I guess it's Trippier is the other one. Um, like that's a, that's a big ask for two guys that are much more offensively minded than defensively minded. So like, you know, TAA and Robertson could really just fucking wreak havoc on the Spurs. So
0: if I'm Liverpool, I'm flying to press defenders and making them play through the midfield. Yeah. Like as always, like make James Milner beat you. (laughs) Like make them play through like Fabinho and Jordan Henderson that's so much more acceptable to me than like, all right, we're gonna cut off this midfield, and then Van Dyke's like, all right, I'll just hit this sixty-yard ball to Mane, and then they're on goal.
1: Yeah, and I mean also like, I mean the thing with Liverpool is that like you're never gonna you're never gonna beat them with like a ball over the top. Like Van Dyke is too good. He's he's like so fucking massive I, and I smart. Think can, I think you can. definitely beat them over the top. have I've never seen anyone the um, way they
0: play their wings. I mean, Van I mean, Dyke's
1: incredible. You but, can get them with like a long diagonal. You can't get them long over the top in the middle.
0: I think, especially with Son and Lucas Mora, and the way Eriksson and Ali can play balls, I think you you need to be making those runs.
1: Well, sure, but I wouldn't I wouldn't be aiming at uh, aiming at Van Dyke. I would I would try and get to the long diagonal balls with uh, try and expose Matip or or get or get Taa or Robertson when they're when they've run up too far. Yeah. All right. Let's call it. Yep. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Danny, for your spot contributions.
0: (laughs) All right. Thank you, listeners.